Very few things in life cause us as much stress as money. When I was in my 20s, my money stress was, oh man, how are we ever going to be able to afford a car that's big enough for our growing family? There's no way. It's so expensive and we don't have it. How's that going to happen? And then my next money stress after that was a house. Lord, how are we ever going to get into a house that's adequate for our needs and, and that will really work? And, and how's that going to happen? That was my money stress. And then it was, have you looked at the price of college? Ah, how are we going to ever, ever pay for college? And now I look back and I see how God in different ways provided for every one of those needs. And it, it frees me. It frees me to worry about retirement. <laughs> but even if we have enough money, it's not like all the stress goes away. We think it will, but it doesn't. Because then we introduce a new kind of stress. Now we've got to worry about our investments and track them and follow them. We've got to be worried about what's going on in the Eurozone. And, and all of a sudden, as a Christian, we're like, man, to whom much is given, much is required. How do I use all this in, in purposes that will honor God? So the stress doesn't go away. And so as I look around, virtually everyone I know has in one way or another a stressed relationship with money. Some kind of complicated relationship with money. An uncomfortable relationship with money. And so when I I look in the Bible and I see how often Jesus taught about money, it was one of his most frequent topics, I wonder to myself, is it because Jesus looks on us and he sees us in our stress and our, our complication and our discomfort around money, and he's just, his heart goes out to us and he's like, oh, friends, if I could just show you a better way to think about this, if I could give you a better way to live this, if I could give you a different way of working with money in your life, a way that will free you and a way that will secure your future because he knows we need a secure future. Can I help you with that? And so this Sunday and two more after this, we're going to be looking at three teachings of Jesus on money to help us with these things. And today where it's so clear about how to feel more free and how to secure your future, it comes in what has been called the strangest story Jesus ever told. And it's a strange story because in this story, the hero of the story, the protagonist, the person that we're all supposed to emulate according to Jesus, is a cheat and an embezzler. So let's look at this together and see the principle that we're to learn. If you would turn to Luke 16, verse 1, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. Now, in today's terms, we would call this a family office. You know, maybe grandpa or great-grandpa did well in oil or lumber or created some invention that really took off. And so now the family has accumulated over those generations at least $100 million in assets. And that's enough that it's actually too much to manage on your own. And you need professionals who will come in and help you manage those assets and also work on your tax strategies with that. And so he's hired this manager into the family office. But one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Now the word here for wasting means squandering. 
And we don't know exactly how he was squandering it. Was he taking lots of golf outings and, and long business lunches with $100 bottles of wine? Or the implication is also, and maybe more importantly, he was siphoning some of it off for himself. It's what the uh, accountants would call a defalcation. And so the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. In two weeks, you're out of here, and I'm only giving you enough time to get the books ready to turn over to the next manager. You're done. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. What can I do? What can I do? I I don't have the strength to dig ditches. I look at those blue-collar guys, and I know they work hard. I'm not up for that. And, uh, And I'm too proud to beg. I've spent my whole life being the guy that people come to beg from. I know I can't turn that around. And he's in a real bind. Because if you and I get fired, we just go out on LinkedIn or, or, or careerbuilder.com and start finding uh, new op- opportunities. But this guy is in a relationship-based culture where everyone knows you were the financial manager who got fired for misappropriating funds and fraud. This guy's done. He will never work another day in his life. And now he's got two weeks to figure out, how do I provide for myself for the entire rest of my life? And then the light bulb goes on. Ah, I know. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much you owe? 800 gallons of olive oil. He's like, I'm tearing that up, and now your loan is actually half that amount, 400. Now, let's be really clear. When this guy is writing down the loans, this is a huge amount of money. It's, it's a little challenging to translate biblical-era agricultural products into today's economy, but one reasonable estimate says this was a $120,000 loan that this guy owed, and he just whacked it to sixty. He saved this guy $60,000. Now, Stephen Gauthier, who's a priest here and also a full-time CPA, has been teaching me how to commit fraud. (laughs) Actually, he wrote a book about fraud prevention, and he explained this text to me. He said the way fraud always works is there's an implied understanding that there's going to be a 50-50 deal. So this guy's like, look, I just saved you 60K. So my share, 30K. But... I'm not going to cash in on that right now the way it would normally happen because I need to call in that favor later. So now this guy's got $30,000 of friendship chips that he's going to call in. And then he calls in the next person. He changes a $340,000 loan to two hundred eighty. dollars Again, savings of sixty. dollars my share thirty. dollars Why is he doing that? So that it, in, a, in two weeks he can come to the first person and say, hey, remember how I saved you $60,000? I'd really love to move in with you. What do you think? <laughs> Person's like, absolutely. I'm moving out of the master bedroom. It's yours. And then after a year, when that wears thin, he goes to the next person. Remember that 60000 You really owe me thirty. so I'm living with you for the next year. This guy has provided for his entire future. And the rich man, verse 8, had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Now, this is where a lot of people reading their Bibles have stumbled, and they've said, Jesus, are you teaching me to embezzle? Well, no, thou shalt not steal, very clear. 
What is he doing? He's, the guy's shaking his head and just like, wow, this guy is brilliant. Like, who, he is such a sharp crook. Like, who could have come up with that? It's sort of like the way I felt after somebody came up in broad daylight and ripped off some UPS packages off my front porch. I just shook my head. I was like, man, that was gutsy. That was really brave. It didn't mean I thought you should all should go out and do that, right? And this guy's saying, if there's one thing that you should take from this guy, is this guy shrewd. He is street savvy with money. He knows how to use money now to secure his future to come. And that's the principle Jesus teaches right here. Use money now to secure your future to come. Did you get that? Use your money now to secure your future to come. Now, this is a very basic financial principle. You don't have to go to Jesus to get this one. We all praise the person who has enough foresight and self-control to use money now to provide for the future to come. For example, let's say you enjoy going out on a date night once a month, but every time that rolls around, you guys don't have the money to really do anything. So you put a jar up in the cupboard, and every time you get a single or couple dollar bills or a five or some change, you throw it in the jar. And after 30 days, when it comes time for date night, guess what? You've got enough to go out somewhere. And you use money now to provide for the future to come. And on a larger scale, Lord willing, hopefully you're taking a little bit of money from paychecks or money as it comes to you now, and you're putting it into a 401k or a Roth IRA so that when retirement comes and you need a secure future, then you've used the money now to provide for the future later. But here's what Jesus does with that principle. He says, yeah, you're thinking far ahead, but you're not thinking nearly far enough ahead. You're all worried about providing for your retirement. What are you doing for your post-retirement? You're so focused on providing for time. What about eternity? When you, there will come a day when all your earthly possessions are gone. When you drop dead, your 401k will not help you anymore. And when you walk into those eternal realms, is there anybody who's going to say, I love that person. I want them to stay with me. Are they going to go, that greedy miser, that skin flint, that person who hoarded and did nothing to help people in need? No, I'm not taking them in. Which will it be? So Jesus gives us this amazing choice every day. Are we using the money that's been given to us to manage to squander it? Or are we using to invest it to secure our financial future? Such, such a difference. Look at verse 10, if you would. Do you see toward the end of that verse... He says, if you're dishonest in little things, meaning money compared to eternity, it's a little thing. You won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? God wants to give you immortality, a glorious resurrection body, honor, joy, authority, peace, every tear wiped away from your eyes. He wants to entrust you with the real value that is beyond anything you could imagine, with a level of security that is all there for you. And how he's going to decide whether to do that or not is how you handle now the little stuff. Little stuff being defined as money. Now, here's the challenge. Money, I I want to do all that, but money deceives me. Money deludes me. It bamboozles me. It hoodwinks me. I forget, even though I read the Bible, that eternity is actually coming much sooner than I think and that I need to prepare now for it. 
I keep thinking, la la, someday, I've got a need, I need a new mattress, you know? And I forget. And then, then I forget that actually it's not my money, it's God's money, which he gave me to manage, and I find it very easy to spend it on myself rather than to invest it, it to make friends and benefit others, as Jesus said. You see how that works? It's like we, we, we all forget it. I, I forget that, that in Jesus' eyes, money's a little thing. I think it's a huge thing. I think it's something I'm fixed on so often. So what is the way out of that? What is the way that, that God could use to help free me and maybe you from that kind of thinking and that kind of mindset so we live into what he's inviting us into here? I saw something in this text that's given me tremendous freedom, and I want to share it with you. Look at verse 12, if you would. If you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? What's the other people's things? The money that God gave you to manage. He's the rich man. You're the manager. And he gave you other people's things to manage. But why did he do that? so that you can handle it in such a way that you'll be trusted with things of your own. The secure, eternal future is for your benefit. So get this. It's got to be really clear, because this is what I loved when I saw this. God gives us his money to secure our future. It's like somebody handing you money and go, here, go ahead and invest it. You get to keep all the dividends, any interest that you make, any investment gain that you get, all the capital gains, whatever it is, you keep it. So I'm bankrolling you, but you get to keep all of the investment. And that's what God says to you and me. He's saying, I'm giving you my money to secure your future. My money, your future. I got a picture of this when my son Andrew was born, who's almost 30. When he was born 30 years ago, my dad was kind of swelling with grandfatherly pride. And so he gave Andrew because he could see that the future was coming and he wanted to invest in his future and my future, $3,000 of stock. And he said, this is for his education, college someday for him. And so he wrote it over. It was to Andrew Miller, Uniform Transfer Miners, to Miners Act, Illinois. And I was named as the custodian. Now, as custodian, I had full legal authority to take that, cash that in, and go to Vegas. But I didn't do that because I knew, actually, I'm worried about how I'm going to pay for Andrew's college. And now, my dad has just given me his money to invest in securing my future. So I read a little bit about Abbott Labs, the stock, and it seemed to be a solid stock that was likely to outperform the market. So I set up the dividends to reinvest. And then the stock split. And then it split again. And 18 years later, when it was time to go to college, that paid for all of Andrew's freshman year and part of his sophomore year. And I am still deeply grateful for what my dad did because what he did was he gave me his money to invest in my future. And what he's saying is, what what Jesus is saying is, God gives every one of us God's money so that we can secure our eternal future. Isn't that good news? Come on, he's bankrolling. We get to keep all the benefit. Now, this is the challenges in our hearts are going, yeah, but God hasn't given me very much money to manage. Think about it this way. Let's say that you make $25,000 a year. And I know some of you make less than that and probably some of you many multiples more. But let's just use that as our baseline. And suppose that you were to work at that level without a raise for 40 years. That's a million dollars that God has just given you to manage. And now, 
let's assume that you join the 24% of evangelicals who tithe. And what God has just allowed you to do is to give away, to benefit others, and make friends who will welcome you into their eternal home $100,000, a six-figure number. Now, why would God take that kind of risk with you and with me? Because he knows that when you hand money to a Christian, to a person who's under the authority of Jesus Christ, here's what they'll do with it. They will give some of it to Holy Church because the gospel is preached there and the sacraments rightly administered. They will give some to clean water wells in Africa so that people don't have to walk four miles to get muddy and bacteria-laden water. They will give some to job training programs for ex-cons so that those guys get a second chance. Do you see that he trusts that if my spirit's in you and I hand you my money to manage, you'll use it to benefit others and to make friends, and you'll receive the blessing of walking in and being welcomed. You see, when you benefit others, you create a tremendous welcome for yourself. I got a picture of this last month. Karen and I went up to uh, Minneapolis, where Bishop Stewart's brother, Christian Ruck, and his wife, Molly, planted Church of the Cross 10 years ago. And before I preached that Sunday, Christian stood up and introduced me to the parish. And he said something that I'd completely forgotten about. He said, you know, uh, 11 years ago, Kevin and Karen sat in our kitchen in West Chicago before there was a Church of the Cross, before we had a name, before we had anything but just a longing to go for this with God and plant this church. And they pulled their checkbook out and they wrote us a check and it was the first check to help this church get started. And I was so excited. I was going to frame that check. And I thought, no, I'm going to cash it. And he photocopied it and put the photo, and he still got the photocopy in his office. Now, can I tell you what happened after that service at coffee hour? There were lines of people waiting to come up to me, and they wanted to tell me, I love this church. This is the best church I've ever been in. One couple in their 70s came up to me and said, we fought most of our married lives trying to find a church that we could both like, and this is the first one we found, and we both love it, and we're growing in faith here. And what they were saying is, Thank you. Thank you for being an early adopter. Thank you for seeing what could happen here. Thank you for being an angel investor. When you benefit others, they welcome you. And what a welcome they gave us. That's the kind of welcome that you will have in heaven if you will do what Jesus calls you to do right here. I think about the kind of welcome that you guys might enjoy. Maybe one of you walks into heaven and and you hear behind you, welcome, brother. You turn around, you see someone, you don't recognize them. They're like, hey, I'm from Nigeria. I know we haven't met, but I just have been waiting for you to come. I'm so excited you're here. Why? Well, because a pastor told me about Jesus. That's why I'm here. And he was trained at the Christian Institute. What's that got to do with me? Don't you remember Good Friday gift day? That's why I'm here. I can't, I'm so thankful for what you did. And then somebody else walks into heaven from here. And it's like, sister, I'm so glad you're here. Really? Why? Have we met? No. But there was a time in my life when I was ready to just chuck my faith. And I decided to give God one more chance. And I came to church. And so why are you telling me this? I came to Res. And it was there because you gave. And my faith began to grow and be restored. And I began to take hope that maybe I could follow God. And that Christianity could be meaningful for me. And that's why I'm here. I just want to say thank you. Oh, friends, what an amazing welcome awaits us if we, will, if we will do this in the Lord. Now, 
One of the most searching and sobering doctrines about money in the Bible is that it's not ours. The car you drove here this morning, it's God's car. The 401k that you watch and feel is too small, it's God's 401k. But one of the most freeing doctrines about money in the Bible is that it's not yours. It's God's. Because what happens is, is it easier to spend your money or somebody else's? Yeah, it's much easier to spend somebody else's money. And it's God's money. My friend Lee Eklov was telling me he was driving in his car one day and this thought, who knows why, came in his head and it was this. What if I just all of a sudden had a windfall and somebody gave me a bunch of money, I wasn't expecting it. What would I do with it? And the first thing he thought was, you know what I would do? I would tithe. I would give 10% of that just right off the top to God. And then he drove on a little bit and he thought, you know what? Actually, I wasn't expecting this gift. I'll go 50-50. I would give God half of whatever came to me in some kind of unexpected way. I'd just give him the other half. That'd be fine. Then he thought, he kept driving, and he remembered this story he'd heard about a wealthy guy in Texas named R.G. Letourneau. Started Letourneau. College. And Letourneau had a practice of living on 10% and giving God 90. And he thought, well, I can't let Letourneau do that and me not do that. I guess if God suddenly dumped a bunch of money on me, I, okay, I'd give God 90%. And I'd be so thankful that I got the 10%. I wasn't even expecting that. Then he drove on a little further, and he was like, oh, what in the world? I have everything I need. If, if, I got, if I got dumped on, I would just give it away. Two days later, he got an anonymous check for $1,000. <laughs> I said, so? What'd you do? He gave it all away. You see how easy it is to give it away when it doesn't feel like it was yours and it just came from God? Every dime is exactly like that. It isn't yours, and it belongs to God. Now think how freeing it would be if you lived that way and what a secure financial future in eternity that would build for you. When, I, when Karen and I were newly married, we went to a, a guy's house who was hosting a Bible study and he was giving us a tour of the place and we just happened to go by the garage and sitting in the garage was a van. He goes, oh, by the way, that's Jesus' van. I said, I didn't know Jesus had a van. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah. Well, um, here's the deal. When we got this van... We just said, this is Jesus's van. So anybody who ever needs a van, it's yours. So if you and Karen just ever need a van to move or take people or drive across country, it's your van. And right here's the basket and the keys are in here. So anytime you want, you just come by and if the van's there and the keys are there, just take it. It's Jesus's van. Do you see how easy it is to loan out Jesus's van? (laughs) Guess what? Your car is Jesus's car. Isn't that fantastic? What a way to live. I can't imagine the stories that will come if you live this way and I live this way. My dad became a Christian when he was 60 years old. The gospel finally got through, and he walked forward in this beautiful Gothic Episcopal church in Baltimore and slapped his cigarettes on the altar. I don't know why he did that. Nobody asked him to do that. (laughs) And got himself a pocket-sized King James and started reading And he had always been good his whole life at making money. And all of a sudden, he started to learn this fine art of using worldly resources to benefit others and make friends who will welcome you into their eternal dwelling. And so it's a good thing he did because as eternity has a way of doing, it showed up a lot sooner than he expected or I did. And when he was 70, I went out to the funeral in Maryland. 
And I looked there at the viewing, and he was in his navy blazer and a Land's End tie, and I was feeling completely, almost numb with grief and, and, and disorientation. And this woman came over to me, and she said, you don't know me, but I just want to tell you something. I was in a terrible marriage, she said. My husband was beating me. And I, I thought, if I don't get out, he's going to kill me. But I had no way to support myself. I didn't know what I was going to do. And your dad paid for me to go to community college and get my associate's degree. And I became a dental hygienist. And today, my daughter and I are making it. And the reason I'm alive today is because of your dad. Well, friends, you and I someday, and maybe sooner than we think, are going to take a step into the funeral home, and the very next step we'll take will be into our eternal home. And there we will get to hear someone tell a story about what we did with our money. I wonder what story they'll tell about me. And I wonder what story they'll tell about you.